Hello, hello. This episode is going to be a little longer than usual because we've got a big topic to unpack today. We're going to talk about developmental trauma broadly and child poverty trauma specifically and the impact that it has on leaders. You may find this episode speaks directly to your own experience, but even if you don't relate to growing up poor or having experienced any childhood trauma, chances are someone on your team has. And while other people's experiences and their journeys are their own, having more information on this topic could give you some insights on how to be a better leader to them. Let me tell you about my partner for this episode. This is a woman in my network who is my go-to resource for understanding trauma and the impacts it has on women. Nikki Yardi is a licensed clinical professional counselor and certified clinical trauma professional. She has been working in the mental health field since 2009, serving women and high-risk youth in a variety of settings. She is a certified EMDR provider and is skilled in treating single incident, complex, and developmental trauma, focusing her private practice on treating women with complex trauma histories. She is the founder and owner of Virago Wellness, a women's counseling center in Southern Maine. Nikki is in long-term recovery herself from complex trauma, and she's open about her own path to healing and hopes that by sharing her story, others will feel less alone. This is Nikki's second appearance on the Women Taking the Lead podcast. You can also find her in episode 104 titled Nikki Weatherell on Releasing Trauma to Tap into Strength. In a bit, I'm going to share a sequence of events that led to this being a topic for the podcast, but before we go there, if you are new to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, hello and welcome. I'm Jody Flynn. I'm the CEO and founder of Women Taking the Lead, a leadership development company that works with individuals, organizations, and boards to close the performance gap by attracting, developing, and successfully promoting more women into senior levels of leadership. My goal is for this podcast to be a valuable resource for you and others in your organization to develop in your leadership. You'll find a blending of topical episodes, on-air coaching episodes, and case studies of organizations succeeding in their gender parity initiatives. We are not already connected on LinkedIn. Please send me an invitation to connect. You can find me directly at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Jody Flynn, or you can search on the platform for Jody Flynn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so I should be at or near the top of the search results. Be sure to add a note to the invitation, letting me know you're a listener of the podcast. I would love to connect with you and get to know you better. Now, let's bring Nikki on. Welcome to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, Nikki. Hi, thank you. I'm so happy to be back. Oh, Nikki, I'm so happy you're back. And so for those of you uh, who are listening, you heard in the intro, Nikki was here in episode 104, um, just 
talking about her journey and offering some amazing insights into the work she was doing. Now, obviously, years have passed. Nikki, you and I have still been connected. We, you know, it's been a while since we met up, but like since then, you and I have met up a couple times. I've seen you. You were also a part of the main women's conference a couple years ago. So we've stayed connected. But for those who heard that original episode or who are going to go back and listen to it, catch us up. What's been going on for you since episode 104? Oh my God, so much, right? Life just flies by. Um, so since then, I have I was working at an agency at the time and had a small private practice focused on women's mental health and trauma. And I have since delved like headfirst into the deep end of trauma work myself and being a trauma therapist and really just expanded my knowledge base and skills. And it's been awesome. Um, so I'm full-time in private practice now. We've got a group practice here, Viraga Wellness. Um, and I have shifted gears in my personal work to being a hundred percent trauma treatment. So I only do EMDR and EMDR related work to help women recovering from different types of trauma. Um, and it has just been amazing. One, it's very gratifying work as you can imagine. Um, but just to be able to like follow your passions and your curiosity and dedicate your time and energy to that is a remarkable experience. I hope everybody has at some point in their life. Yeah, no, huge. And, and from what I've heard about EMDR, it's, incredibly powerful work and the research around it just keeps reinforcing just how amazing this work can be in the hands of like somebody who's trained and, and knows what they're doing. And I know because I follow you on Instagram. And so I recommend everyone follow you on Instagram because it's oh. so interesting, like what you've shared about it. I remember you posting about being in training, you know, and just yes. being set up to be in a long day of training, which is just, just amazing that yes, when you hit on something and you're super curious and interested in something, having that ability to just dive deep and then share it with the world, which is what yes. you're doing. And so people may also recognize you used to be Nikki Weatherell and now yes. you are Nikki Yardy. So yeah. tell us about your personal <laughs> life. Yeah. So I got married two years ago. We actually just had our anniversary um, last week. So that was fun. We went out to dinner. Um, my husband and I eloped in Portland. It was like the height of COVID. And so we just did this little tiny intimate rooftop wedding with our closest friends and then went to dinner over at Four Street in like tuxes and wedding gowns. It was so much fun. <laughs> oh my God. And in Portland, I'm sure people are just like, okay, yeah, this makes yeah. sense. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's wedding season. So we weren't even the only ones out like that. You know what I mean? There was like several other wedding parties we ran into. Oh my God. (laughs) So fun. This is what I love about you, Nikki. Like you're doing like such like work that people would be like, oh my God, that could be so hard, but you're also just so real. So natural. (laughs) And we always, we always laugh when we're chatting. So, okay. So I want to take the listener through a a little bit of a journey. So for those of you who are listening, like why are Nikki and I here? Why are we talking about this right now? So let me take you back a little bit. So I was in New England in the late winter, as many of you know, because my dad um, was dying of lung cancer. And a week after he died, I was, um, I was still staying with my sister. Obviously, there was a lot of loose ends to tie up and his services and all that may have even been the week 
week of his services because they were the week after he died. Anyway, sorry, little tangent. So I'm staying with my sister. So I'm out taking her dog for a walk in the neighborhood and I'm listening to podcasts like you do. <laughs> so I am listening to uh, Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. And the mm. episode talked about, it had a different title, something about like etiquette is BS, something like that. And it was making, um, she and her wife, Abby Wambach and her sister, Amanda, were talking about the distinction between manners and etiquette. And so um, it's an amazing episode. I'm going to have the link in the show notes if you want to listen to it. So, you know, bottom line, what they were um discerning was manners are so we can all get along, right? So that we can be comfortable and we're not stepping on toes and there are some rules we follow, right? So that, so that there is, there is harmony and we, we know what to do in certain situations. Etiquette were, were rules that were designed by class to identify other, right? So those in the higher class created rules that we now call etiquette. And it was so they would know if someone who was not of their class was in their presence. And there were so many rules. And this goes all over the globe, right? This is not any one society or culture or nation who does this. This is pretty universal that you know, the higher class tends to have a lot of complex rules that must be followed because they want to know if they are interacting with someone of their class. And of course, it's triggering, right? I'm listening to it. I'm getting super triggered. You know, I, I don't think I've ever hidden this, but I don't talk a lot about it. I grew up poor, very poor, right? We, I had a lot of brothers and sisters. My dad worked for the city of Worcester. He was a plumber, did not make a lot of money, you know, so we didn't have money, you know, so I'm listening to to this episode, you know, and especially like with my dad just having passed, like a lot of childhood memories are coming up and I'm just like, Ugh. but it was such a good episode. I, I, I recommend there were a lot of laughs in the episode, you know, they made, they made fun, but, but there were moments where I, it was tense. Then uh, fast forward just a little bit. I'm listening to another podcast that recommended a new podcast, Classy with Jonathan Menavar. And he is somebody who now is working in media on the East Coast, very professional, you know, making money. But he talks about how that is not how he grew up. He grew up poor. And so this podcast is all about the thing we don't talk about, which are class levels in our society. And you've listened to it as well, Nikki. Any thoughts yes. on the podcast? <laughs> Oh, so fascinating. So I just got started with it. Um, but I think like you mentioned before, he's a fabulous storyteller yeah. and he says it in the introduction of the podcast, like this stuff is awkward and uncomfortable to talk about. And of course, as a therapist, I love talking about the things that we don't typically talk about. <laughs> um, but he really names what a lot of people live with day to day, just sort of underneath the surface. And that was one of the things I appreciated about it. 
Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And it, it like, it was, um, it drew you in from the storytelling, but I think yeah. I shared with you, there was this one episode where he and uh, a friend of his, who's a comedian go to a fine dining restaurant and the discomfort you know, and I could, I could, the, the, I wish I could remember his name, but the comedian was like, I'm sweating. I am sweating. I'm so uncomfortable. Right. Cause it's that, it's that etiquette piece. Yes. What do I do? What am I supposed to say? You know? And I think he even said like, I used to be the person who'd be waiting on us. Like yes. I was the service provider. So then, and I've been in this situation where you're overthinking somebody for taking care of you because you're so uncomfortable having somebody be of service to you because you used to be the service provider. Yes. I, I had to laugh and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so true. Like, boom. Um, and then I will also mention that um, recently somebody, um, I was at the um, Maine Women's Conference networking event that just happened in August and uh, met up with somebody who I had only known uh, through social media, um, but we had a chance to meet in person and we're talking and I I started talking about like class distinctions, you know, cause this has just become a topic that is just, I'm diving into. And she recommended cast um, to me, that book cast. It's a, I think Oprah Winfrey recommended it as a good book. And it talks a lot about um, racial cast, like cast mm. um, by race, but it's not limited to that. So, so as you can see, so this long journey. So for those of you who are like, where is this going? Get to your point. Like this is this is coming to a conclusion. Like this is the context. All this stuff just seemed to have been coming at me over the last six months, and it was in um, May that I decided to uh, start working with a counselor myself in Virginia because of my health insurance and where I live. I, I, I already told Nikki, Nikki, I would have reached out to you if my insurance had allowed it. But like, it was like, no, you had to pick a counselor in Virginia because there were conversations that were going on between Eric, my partner and I around, you know, Charlie was, his son, Charlie was graduating from high school there were all these senior events. And so a lot of our conversations were around like, who's paying for what? And mm -hmm. there was, you know, I was um, raised a certain way. Eric was raised a certain way. Charlie's mom was raised a certain way. And there were definitely differences in how everyone was thinking we were going to approach this. And respectfully, like we did all have our own experiences growing up, right? And we see the world through the experience we had. And, right. yeah. and every parent wants more for their children, you know, that sort of thing. But I just found myself becoming anxious and angry and, you know, trying to, you know, uh, separate myself like this is not my child, but this is my relationship and, and that sort of thing. And I, I finally said to Eric, I was like, I, I can't do this on my own anymore. Like I, I I'm going to get a counselor. I, I need to talk to somebody <laughs> who's not you. <laughs> An objective third party person. Absolutely. Was definitely like seeing the need for that. So I, I did start working with a counselor um, and have been working with her over the summer. And recently 
you know, we're talking about things and the anxiety over money and how tense I feel about it. And like just this notion, especially lately that's been coming up. And I think partly triggered by the fact that my, my dad passed away. And I think about how my parents lived their lives and and right before we were so much stuff. Oh my gosh. So much stuff. And right before we got on this call, I remembered like, when I was working in mutual funds and I was getting promoted pretty quickly, I remember a point at which, you know, I told my mother, like, I'm getting promoted, I'm getting this much money, so now I'm going to be making this. And my mom, like, paused and then she said to me, uh, you're making more money than your dad made when he retired. And I remember her saying that to my bro older brother as well at one point. I didn't know how much money he was making, but she was like, he's making more money than you. Like that was her demarcation. And there was like a point of pride in it. Yeah. And I think there was like something of a like, wow, if we had been making that much money. Yeah. Like how different life would have been. So so all of this is coming to the to the forefront, but going back recent conversation with my counselor, like I said, you know, had finished talking and said something and she just paused and she was not nodding. And she just said two words, poverty trauma. And it was like, oh, oh, I'm going to have to think about that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that amazing? Just a different perspective on something you've lived your whole life, but you never thought about it that way. Not at all. And I, I shared with you when I reached out. So for those who are listening, Nikki is my go-to person on all these things, as, as you can understand, right? Like this comes up and I'm thinking, and I'm like, I think I want to do an episode on this. Cause the other thing is, is like, I don't think I'm alone. No way. <laughs> and as and I know it's definitely had an impact on me as a as a leader, as an individual, first and foremost. But then how do I show up? Right. Even in my relationship, how I lead in my relationship and how I lead in this household. Not that I'm the only leader. My partner is a leader too. But we as we all know, we bring our leadership wherever we go. Like how I'm showing up as a partner is impacted by this. And I know how. I show up as a leader is impacted yeah. by this as well. Um, I, I don't think I could get away from it. Um, and I remember um, sharing with you, Nikki, when we were talking about potentially doing this episode, I remember saying to you, Nikki, like, up until recently, like, I know how I grow up, like nobody forgets how they grow up. But I also had reached a point in my career where I was successful, and I was making good money. And I decided at that point, like that was my past, and it was behind me. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't need to go there anymore. Like it was something I had overcome, and it was gone now. Right. <laughs> and now I'm realizing <laughs> No, it's not. So, um, you know, for those of you who um, have been ha experienced poverty trauma, this is definitely, uh, you know, uh, relates to you, um, but not only poverty trauma, because as I was talking to Nikki about this episode, Nikki's like, oh, it's an it's under an umbrella of of things. So, you know, let's Nikki, let's start wide. 
you know, and, and we can bring it back um, a little later. But I think this is important, as I said in the intro, that like we understand like what motivations and what things are going on for us. But also, even if you have not experienced trauma, you know, as a child or in your life, like chances are er like many people, you know, have, I, I, I compare it to cancer. Like everybody knows somebody who's had cancer, you know, and, and trauma is, is like that, like comparatively, um, in terms of like how many people have experienced it. So, um, I definitely wanted to talk to you, Nikki, because I think this could provide a lot of insights for individuals to either start healing, find healing, but also to help their team members or understand team members and, and why maybe they've behaved certain ways or have talked about certain things or maybe hesitated over certain things. I think this can be being challenged. Yeah. Like, you know, when something we've all had experiences like that, where we're, we're just in the day to day and then somebody's like having difficulty with something and we're like, what is going on right now with, you know, what is happening right here? And I think this could be incredibly powerful. So I'm going to hand over the mic to you for a little bit so you can give us like the scope of, uh, of trauma and, and what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jody. I think, um, you make so many excellent points there that like it does touch everybody. And I would even expand that a little bit that like depression and anxiety, every human on the planet experiences trauma at some point. Um, most of us can recover from those things. And every now and then we have things that are either significant enough, impactful enough, chronic enough that they do have lasting impacts, but every human has experienced trauma on some level, at least on a small sense. Um, Mm. And so the umbrella that you're referring to is what we call complex or developmental trauma, right? So everybody's familiar with PTSD. We've we've heard those terms before. Um, And in the trauma treatment field, that stuff is really being expanded upon um, to include these definitions of developmental and complex trauma. So it's not just something like having been to war or in a car accident, like these major life-threatening, you know, shake up your whole world type experiences. They're trauma is really a spectrum and there's a whole different range of experiences along that spectrum and poverty trauma falls under this developmental trauma. So these are the things that happen most early, uh, most often early in our, in our, um, like childhood and developmental years, which is where that term developmental trauma comes from while we are still developing, our brains are developing, our personalities are developing. So it's things that have impacts for us, right? Like if you broke a bone when you were 25 versus if you broke a bone when you were six, there's just going to be different long-term effects of those things. And it's very similar. Um, Another way I like to look at it or, or how we look at it in the field is there's like, again, those major events versus chronic smaller events. And it doesn't have to be something as like, um, insidious, like as abuse, it, you could have like very loving, like it sounds your, like your parents were very mm-hmm. loving, caring, like you had a great family, but mm-hmm. there were things outside of their control that impacted you as a kid. And this is the case for many of us, right? That you have these very well-intentioned families, but maybe there are some unmet needs because parents are working so many jobs to pay the bills, or there's only so many things that they can provide, right? Like, so maybe you have food on the table, but you didn't have like 
those shiny pair of sneakers mm-hmm. that all the kids at school had, right? So there's yeah. these different experiences. Or even seeing us. a parent be very stressed about money. Yes. Oh my God. My yeah, mom used to break out in rashes when she Aww. used to think about it. I know my, my sweet mom, you know, but like seeing that, right. Seeing a parent have like a crisis of confidence, yes. you know, that sort of thing definitely impacts you as a child. Yeah, absolutely. I can remember, um, so my parents got divorced when I was in high school, but a few years later, so I was nearly an adult and my dad had lost his job at one point and it was like, how are we going to pay the mortgage? Right. And so just like those types of stressors are Mm going to impact us. Right. And so if you think about like a human body as a, a whole system, we like to sort of separate like mental health is different from physical health and Surprise, they're all connected. It's not, yep. <laughs> Who knew? Um, right? Stress, any anything that stresses the system. So psychological stress, financial stress, emotional stress, like it's all the same fight or flight systems. The body gets activated and that has an impact, right? We think about like cortisol, adrenaline, all the stuff that are the hormones that our brains flood us with is going to take a toll. Um, another place that this is um, sort of being talked about is ACEs, so adverse childhood experiences. There's a whole ACE questionnaire, and your ACE score can determine things like lifespan, um, rates of like hypertension and heart disease, cancer. Like we know that these experiences follow us throughout our lives. They did a huge study years ago. Um, we know like the the larger um, population included in a study, the more accurate the science typically in this, I forget what the numbers were, it was like 5,000 people, but a huge study to show some of these links. Um, I will say I don't recommend um, doing your own ACE score without the support of a therapist because, again, just like, like you were talking about with listening to these podcasts, some of these things are very activating. And so you just want to be sort of prepared for what kind of can of worms are you opening for yourself. But it is certainly good to explore, you know, trauma is more widely encompassing than a lot of people realize. And so when you start to look at that, it can really ring your bell and um, it can be kind of a a wake up call for folks. So yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Bashers, come here, buddy. Sorry, that's Bash. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, Nikki, this is like a little bit, a little reprieve because I'm like, I definitely felt like, Ugh. okay, tell us, tell it for a little break from all of this. Tell us about Bash and, and yeah. the role he plays at work and in your life. Yeah. So, um, Bash is a four year old German shepherd who um, we got a few years ago and he, was supposed to be trained as a, a therapy dog, right? So having something in the the room as we're doing therapy to kind of break the tension and help people stay physically grounded. Um, I've also done some work with Red Cross before, and I had high hopes of Bash traveling and doing um, disaster deployments with me. But instead of having a therapy dog, we have a dog in therapy. <laughs> we think that I'm his emotional support human. <laughs> So I don't incorporate him into the therapy process right now. He comes to work with me every day. He gets to visit my clients. People love it. It is great to have him in the room, but he is so anxious that I haven't actually gone through the certification process with him quite yet. We're going to see, give him a couple more years to see if he chills out a little bit because he is an anxious pup. Um, Mm. And it ends up being a great like um, working metaphor as I teach people about, you know, uh, psychological stress and things like that, because on a regular basis, he's got some 
something going on that is very stressful for him or very stressful for me. Um, but yeah, he's, he comes to work with me every day. He's like, uh, my little sidekick. It's great having him around. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> get a t-shirt that says emotional support human. Yes. I love that. Oh, awesome. Love bash. I don't know about you, but I have discovered amazing music, books, TV shows, movies, restaurants, and podcasts for sure because a friend or colleague told me about it. Our network, made up of friends, family, colleagues, and acquaintances, are a vital source of information and access to resources for us. If you find the content and suggestions from this podcast valuable, could you do me a huge favor? Could you share it with a friend or colleague? Typically, the best way to share a podcast is to share a specific episode that made you think of the other person. You can share an episode right from your podcast app, or you can send the link to the webpage found in the episode description. My goal is to help millions of women to grow and feel calm and confident in their leadership. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping me to do this. And I thank you for helping the woman in your life be the confident leader she is meant to be by introducing her to this podcast. So thank you. Okay. So we were talking about, um, uh, the, the umbrella of, um, trauma and you mentioned complex trauma. What is, what is complex trauma? Yeah. So there's so many different working definitions here. And I should acknowledge too, that like the industry as a whole is still sorting this out. So we have the diagnostic statistics manual, which is where all the mental health diagnoses live. Um, and it's a very thick book made by a bunch of crusty old white dudes. So that's good to know. Um, and it's, it's flawed and it's incomplete. And so there's like acute stress disorder is, you know, what's happened right after a scary event. Um, PTSD is any long-term lingering effects of that. And then there's some working diagnosis that haven't made it into that um, that, you know, sort of widely accepted list of diagnoses. And those are complex and developmental trauma. So developmental trauma being those early childhood experiences. And complex trauma can be thought of as just multiple traumas. Um, so I'm a person with complex PTSD, meaning that there's been multiple negative experiences in my life that have had lasting impacts. Um, and you could you could interchange developmental and complex trauma, um, or you could use complex trauma like somebody who's had a sexual assault and a car accident and, um, mm -hmm. you know, other things. So there's been more than one situation that has caused psychological harm. Yes. And you had a recent experience because I want people to understand um, that there are some traumas that we have, but they don't live like some other traumas. Like there are some traumas that like, yes, the event was traumatic, but we healed from it very yes. quickly and it doesn't have lasting impacts on us. Can you explain why that is? 
Yeah, yeah. So um, the story you're referring to, I'll tell the story as well. So I worked in wilderness therapy before I was a, a licensed therapist and regularly would go hiking with some friends. I lived out in Colorado and we were at elevation, you know, 10,000 feet, 12,000 feet all the time. But for whatever reason, this particular hike, I think we started at a lower elevation and went up pretty quickly. I got altitude sickness and we're climbing up Pikes Peak I lived close enough that we literally just left, walked from my apartment to the trailhead. That's how close I lived. So like the base of the mountain um, and started to get pretty sick. And I was with a friend who is a EMT or a WEMT, a wilderness EMT. Um, and so she was kind of checking in on me, but the symptoms of um, altitude sickness are quite unpleasant. Like you get, you know, digestive distress, but you're not quite cognizant. Like I remember being very irritable, like having a hard time thinking, having a hard time functioning, but you also physically can't move. And so we stayed at a base camp and I was up sick all night and to the point where she was communicating with the folks at the base camp, like, do we need to call search and rescue? Do we need to get this person off the mountain? Um, And again, because she had those skills to monitor my vitals, she knew I was safe enough to stay there, sleep. And luckily, um, Pikes Peak has a cog railway, very much like Mount Washington. Mm -hmm. And so I was too sick to climb down the mountain. (laughs) So here I am on this train looking totally disheveled, miserable Mm. as can be the next morning with all like the happy tourists who are just riding up the mountain with their families and coming back down. Um, And my friend and her dog met me at the bottom of the mountain and they just scooped me up, took me right to the hospital. I was fine. I had to get some fluids, but otherwise no big deal. Um, But it was it was scary. Right. It was like, is she going to be okay? This is an actual, you know, near life or death experience. Um, My friend was very shaken because, again, she knew how sick I was. But I didn't have any lasting trauma from that. I was surrounded by um, folks who were taking care of me, including a close friend who I, you know, really was a good support system for me. I was able to get access to healthcare quite easily and readily, you know, and so I was shaken up for a few days, but there wasn't any lasting impacts because all of my physical, emotional, psychological needs were met during that time. So when you have a traumatic situation, it is normal for the system to be activated for a period of time, right? You're just like if you get a bruise, um, if you sprain your ankle, like the body is going to react in a protective way because it's built for that. So you're going to have some distress for a period of time, but that should slowly linger or sorry, slowly um, start to go away. It shouldn't linger. If it does linger, whether because we don't get access to care, um, we don't get adequate support, or the event itself is significant enough that it overwhelms our ability to cope, and that affects how, how there's some brain science there, how it gets stored in our memory, then it becomes traumatic stress, then it develops into PTSD, complex PTSD, developmental trauma, right? So when you think back to this developmental trauma and like poverty trauma, all of those are chronic experiences. It's not like you had a you know small period of time where you didn't have your financial needs met and then it went away. That lingered for years, as it does for a lot of people. And so that's one of the things that causes those long-term effects versus an incident that's time-limited, it's over, it's done with, you get the care and the help and the support that you need to cope and to heal, and therefore there is no lingering effects. 
That's amazing. Okay. So that can explain for people, why did this one thing affect me so much when this happened and I seem to bounce back really quickly? And it's all a matter of like, were your needs getting met and how overwhelming was the experience to your system? Yes. And a little bit of personal resiliency, like what's upsetting for one person is going to be different for another person. Um, Like I think when you and I originally started talking about this, you gave the example of a person, um, I forget what country they were from, um, but that where there was a lot of poverty, it was like Eastern Europe somewhere where there's a lot of poverty, but everybody was poor. So like if you had shoes with holes in them, everybody had like you didn't feel other you right. didn't feel less than, so it wasn't a big deal. So there's personal resiliency pieces. There's contacts that can impact that. Um, some people j- have, you know, they're just sort of wired to be more resilient. Other people have factors in their lives, like a support person. Um, we know for like kids who come from like abusive or neglectful homes, if they have one person in their lives that regularly sees them, acknowledges their experience, is supportive, is connecting with them. They're less likely to have long-term effects than somebody who doesn't have anybody. So there's a few different things that can impact it. Yeah. And what, from my own experience, what I definitely related to and and why like some of the studies that come out about the happiest people in the world, like oftentimes point to people living in third world countries are happier than people in the U.S. because everybody's poor, right? They're, they're not comparing themselves to anyone else. They don't feel less than they don't feel othered. Like they live in communities where everyone is at the same socioeconomic status. And so like, it's a non issue for them, as opposed to like my experience, you know, growing up poor in the city and then going to a Catholic school where, you know, started interacting with um, classmates who had way more money than I did. And like, you know, so then like shame started coming into the picture, like feeling less than, especially as I was going into my middle school in uh, high school time years, I know hard enough already. But then when you feel like I can't bring my friends home because I don't want them to see where I live and I don't want those days where we don't have to wear our uniform to school because then I'm going to have to wear some of my own clothes to school. My clothes are not cool. You know, that sort of stuff. Like that's the chronic trauma that you're talking about where, and when you're living in um, an environment where it's not all equal, you know, it's not all the same and you definitely feel less than or othered, it it can definitely impact you as well. Okay, Nikki, now I want to talk about um, like what this can look like as an adult and especially as we're becoming leaders you know, and we're carrying these traumas with us unbeknownst to us till we're say, you know, 48. (laughs) Yes. Um, And before I do, I just want to touch on something that you just pointed out too, which is the social impact of all this, right? And that as humans, we're wired for connection. Like the worst thing in the world is to be voted off the island or Mm -hmm. exiled. And so we never want to feel other than because it risks our social connection, which is safety, right? If you think about like the history of humans and hunter-gatherer times, if you were exiled from the group, it literally meant death. And so on some level, we feel like if we're going to be exiled, we're going to die, even yeah. though we know we're not. But socially, emotionally, that 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 loss of connection is devastating for us as humans. Yeah, for sure. It does feel like a social death. 
Yeah. Right. When you can't really connect and belong. Right. And, and there was also this, this sense of, and I definitely felt this as a leader. Um, I don't know if I, I would call it imposter syndrome, but it, it, it smacks of that where you almost like, you feel like you're pretending to be something you're not because you're just trying to fit in. Like you're trying yeah. to like act like everything's fine. It's cool. I got this. No I belong here. Deal. I belong here. But at the same time, like internally, you're like, oh my God, like I'm going to be outed any moment now, like, yeah. or if anyone were to find out, like, so the, the, the feelings of imposter syndrome are intensified, you yes. know, as you get older too, I would say. What did what do these traumas look like as an adult as we're navigating you know the, the the workplace and especially as we become leaders and and we're we're holding on to this trauma? Yes, yeah, and I'll I'll um, add to that too, like how women experience this because yes. I think that there's a an element there too, and I know that that's that's who you speak that's to. That's my jam, <laughs> yeah, which I love and appreciate. Um, but I think one of the biggest issues is self-confidence and self-worth, right? So, the, you know, again, these internalized experiences and um, as an EMDR therapist, in EMDR, we focus a lot on negative cognitions, right? Negative beliefs that we develop about ourselves. And they're so common that in our training manual for EMDR, we literally have a list of them um, that are, you know, f- that we frequently hear. And I think the biggest one I hear is I'm not good enough. Mm. So many things boil down to this negative belief, I'm not good enough. I'm different than I'm not worthy, that kind of thing. Yeah. You just think about like, if that is your internal monologue, and then you're trying to go into the, you know, these professional settings, and that's how you feel, you're going to, it's just going to affect so much. So there's the beliefs that we have about ourselves that are affected. Um, A lot of these things, we end up developing anxiety and depression, right? There's like situational anxiety and depression, but then anxiety and depression are sometimes um, actually like secondary impacts from these experiences. So we end up feeling anxious about like what's going to happen. Um, I think we've all heard women that are labeled as like control freaks and that's such a like loaded term, but sometimes being a control freak, quote unquote, is I just need to know what's going to happen because that's going to help ease my anxiety, right? If I know what to expect or who's going to be there or those things, I can calm down a little bit so that fight or flight system isn't so wonky. Um, and same thing, depression, right? If you have chronically unmet needs, chronically feeling other, it's just going to start to take a toll on on your emotional health for sure. Um, so those are some impacts. Um, I think the some of the heartbreaking ones I see is folks don't go, they don't take healthy risks. They don't put themselves out there. The amount of women I've worked for that won't apply for that like higher level job because yes. they don't think they're qualified. I'm like, yes. oh my God, but you have so much to offer. But we don't see that in ourselves. And so we sell ourselves short. We don't put ourselves out there. We don't, you know, take an opportunity that might be available or ask for an opportunity that might be available. So there's lots of different ways that this this can show up. What's coming back to me is that whole etiquette thing. And I went through this when I was getting promoted. Now, there was a part of me that was super high achieving and ambitious. So that helped me override a lot of these, like what I would call like stumbling blocks or like things that would slow me down. So I would 
go headlong into a promotion and then freak out once Mm. I was there because, and I can see why a lot of women don't want to go after new roles or higher, higher levels because you become more visible. Right. And people watch you more, not from an, not from a critical standpoint, but just because you're leading, like people suddenly, you know, want to hear what you have to say. And, you know, you're expected to speak up more in meetings. And so it's, you know, to accept a, a promotion or a new role is also putting yourself in a position where like, I could say or do the wrong thing. And then I will be outed or it'll become more clear how much I don't belong here or how I grew up, you know, that that sort of thing. And I think, you know, and it sounds like a lot of hiding. I don't think I was intentionally trying to hide, but nor did I want people to know the full picture of how I grew up and what I didn't know and where I didn't go to school or that or anything like that. Yeah. And what you're talking about is shame, right? And shame sometimes can be healthy, right? Shame is why we wear pants when we walk around in public because, you know, we know better than not to do that, right? Yeah. And so sometimes shame is a good thing. It can keep us from getting voted off the island. Um, But more often, shame is messages that I am not good at the core, right? There's a difference between guilt, I should have done something differently, or I made a mistake, or embarrassment, I misstepped, you know, in some way, and shame being, I am not good enough. Mm-hmm. And that's so different. And shame is pervasive in it. It's like erosion on our soul, right? We just, we are really negatively impacted by it. It weighs us down. I always like the analogy of um, like the trauma backpack, right? Like we're all kind of carrying these backpacks around and your different experiences are adding different books to those backpacks. Like maybe you have a giant book of poverty. Maybe you have a a book of, you know, abuse that you experienced or, um, you know, a parent who was really critical or invalidating. And so the more negative experiences you have, the heavier backpack you're carrying around. And now you're out in the world trying to do things that everybody else is. And some people have no backpacks. They're, they have not had any negative experience, which is fabulous. I'm very happy that there are people out there who <laughs> haven't had those adverse experiences. Um, but it is actually harder to do this stuff, you know, anything when you are carrying that backpack. Yeah, for sure. And so for those who, you know, are leaders and maybe have a lighter backpack, right, and may not realize that, you know, people on their team or peers or coworkers might be experiencing um, these these traumas and, and like coping at work, what would you say to them in terms of like, you know, if you if you pick up on something that that you know, clues you in on like, okay, maybe perhaps this person has has some experiences that are like filtering how they are experiencing this situation right here. What would you say to that? Yeah. Um, I think just the the awareness, right, that they're, you know, you never know the experiences of the the people you're interacting with. And especially in a lot of professional settings, people tend to parse that out. Um, this is so wild for me. So in the therapy world, we have supervision and it's not just administrative supervision, it's clinical supervision. You have to be able to sort through all your personal stuff to be the most effective therapist possible. So in the therapy world, you do talk about personal personal stuff way more with your supervisors than you do in other settings. But I remember this from other professional settings that it's like you sort of keep 
you know, your personal life at home. And I think opening the door for some of those conversations in a very compassionate way, like you as a leader might acknowledge to one of your direct reports, like, hey, you know, I noticed X, Y, or Z, and we're, you know, we're not going to make assumptions about where X, Y, or Z comes from, but, you know, just sort of opening the door to conversations. Um, I think asking people too, what kind of support do you need from me, right? How, how can I assist you with this type of thing? Um, I really like the idea of coaching in leadership positions, right? Coaching Mm -hmm. is saying to a person, and this is your area of expertise, so um, you have to tell me what you think about this, but my understanding is it's asking like, what do you need to achieve this goal? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wonder about expanding that conversation to include, you know, are there things that are coming up from your personal experiences that might be impacting this? And how do I support you with that? Or how do I help you get connected to resources or professional supports that might help you with that? Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Nikki, because um, during the pandemic, all of that changed where leaders oh, and managers God. are now being expected to be more aware of um, mental and emotional needs of their um, their people, right? Because burnout comes from a lot of like mental and emotional duress. And so, and they're not in, and you know, my my heart goes out to managers because they're not necessarily always getting the training on how to do this. So being very clear, like you're not expected to do counseling, but you, but you are expected to, initiate the conversation that might open a door, right? And then connect somebody with the resources that your company provides for somebody who might need them, you know, but you're not going to get there unless you're comfortable having the conversation. But like, how are you? Is there anything that's getting in the way? I noticed during this meeting, you like shied away, you know, or you're not like, like, is there anything I can do, provide for you? You don't have to dig into the past. You don't have to take on the role of therapist. But, you know, until somebody feels comfortable opening up, like, yeah, I don't feel good enough, you know? And it's going to be really hard, especially for women. Like some women have a hard time asking for help, right? Because oh we're God, supposed yes. to be helping other people, you know? So there can be, you talked about shame, Nikki. There can be shame around, I need more support, you know, so now I'm not proving myself. I'm not carrying my own weight. Now I'm becoming dead weight. But that is not true. This is actually a stepping stone to being more powerful in your own life and as a leader, you know, and wherever you want to go in your career is opening up about like, hey, I have some needs in order for me to get there. And I think discernment is really important here too. Like each person needs to utilize their awareness of their own work environments, right? Some work environments, it is very safe to be vulnerable and there won't be negative consequences of honesty and Mm -hmm. and more personal sharing in other places that could negatively impact you. I'm thinking about like the folks I know who are lawyers, right? And that they have to put like certain, certain law firms, like you have to put certain amount of hours in and any sort of quote unquote sign of weakness could negatively impact your ability to make partner or things like that. So really being aware of what you know about your own work environment. And if leaders do have the capacity to create more compassionate and honest workplaces where where employees and and direct reports can be um, more honest and open, that's fabulous. It can impact our organizations in that way. 
Yeah, that reminds me of uh, Brene Brown, who who says, you know, you share your story with people who've earned your trust, right? Yes. So like discerning, like, is there trust here? Can I can I share this part of myself? You know, and if that isn't the case, and even if it is, or, you know, but especially if it isn't, you know, identifying that you have needs and getting help, you know, you don't have to share this with your manager if it doesn't feel safe or comfortable to do so. So Nikki, um, this is a good segue because I wanted you to tell us more about EMDR and, you know, the potential of that with trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I started EMDR training two and a half years ago and recently became certified and have done a bunch of advanced trainings um, and I'm like totally drinking the Kool-Aid. I love this stuff, really do. So EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And so as a trauma therapist, I had been working with folks that had trauma for a very long time, years. Um, But I was working originally with folks that weren't very well resourced, like their lives were still, like there was sometimes still ongoing traumas and reprocessing trauma, you really have to have a significant level of emotional and just life stability. We don't want to crack open Pandora's box if somebody has housing insecurities or is in active addiction or something like that, right? in a, you know, ongoing domestic violence situation. So once folks have established a baseline of safety and they feel ready to go back and work through things, which I feel like it's really important to point out that you don't have to reprocess your traumas in order to heal. It's a very deeply personal decision of if and when it's time to go there. And that conversation should be definitely had with a trained licensed professional um, because it is going to stir stuff up, right? You're you're like stirring up the bottom of the pond and that can be an emotionally distressing experience. So you really want to make that decision in a very informed capacity. Um, and for some folks, I call it no-fly zones. They're just not ready to go there. And that's not maladaptive. That's not pathological. It's deeply personal trauma of any of the elks that we've talked about, whether it's, you know, sort of traditional PTSD or that more complex developmental trauma something happened that you didn't choose. And so you have to be an active, empowered participant in your own healing, which Mm -hmm. means you decide what feels right for you. And so I always say to my clients, it's like we're on a road trip together. You are driving the van, right? I'm in the passenger seat. I have the map and I say, we can get there if we take exit two or exit five. You might decide to take neither exit and take exit six, right? You ultimately decide what you do. So that's a very important piece. And so EMDR has multiple phases and the first phase is just getting people ready. And some people will spend years in that phase. Again, there's no right or wrong way to do that. That's developing um, emotional resourcing for this, right? So I can handle the intense emotions that I'm plagued with on a day-to-day basis, which I think every human needs, right? Like this is not stuff for folks with trauma. This is every human. Um, and then ultimately getting into the reprocessing phase, which EMDR, it's really cool. So I just, uh, as a baseline, I'm a very skeptical person. Like I remember when I first heard about like meditation, I was like, you want me to do what? You want me to sit on a cushion and do what? I'm 
<laughs> I think a lot of people have that reaction at first. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. And I meditate regularly and I recommend it to all my clients ad nauseum, right? Um, and so when I first heard about EMDR, so like, okay, you want me to move my eyes back and forth and that's going to heal me? I was like, you got to be kidding me, right? Um, but as you mentioned before, there is a ton of research and really well done research that shows the effectiveness of this. I personally have done a lot of work in EMDR and have found it like mind-blowingly effective and I can share a little bit about that. Um, and then the work that I've done with my clients. And, I, you know, I had folks that we were doing talk therapy for like five or six years before I was trained in EMDR. And the progress that they made in six months of EMDR versus five or six years of talk therapy is just wildly different. It really is. And so EMDR works on um, the uh, adaptive information processing theory, which is like how our brain stores information. And there's some neuroscience behind this. Traumatic memories get disconnected from space and time and they get stored typically in very fragmented ways. So like, you know, like the file folders that you put in a filing cabinet, it's like they're made of glass and we just smashed them and we just shoved all the shards in there. And so when you open the drawer, you have no idea what's coming out. You're just getting pieces of things and there's no orientation to time. And so something can trigger us in our day-to-day -day lives and our brains don't know, oh, that's in the past. I'm actually safe now. That thing isn't happening anymore. And we act as if it's happening now, right? So to use poverty trauma as an example, you may now be very financially secure and not have to worry about, you know, a, a dip in the finances because you've got a good safety cushion or something. But if that trauma is activated, that part of your brain doesn't know that you've got this really great 401k and emergency savings account and all of that. It's back to being eight years old and, you know, sort of whatever things are going on during that time. And so that's kind of one of the long-term impacts of trauma. And so with EMDR, we identify what are those major themes, right? Like I'm not good enough or I'm not safe or the world is a scary place. Like what are those major themes? And then what are your personal memories and experiences that all weave together in that timeline to that one theme? And it's almost like, um, like a high story building, right? We've got all these different floors, right? Floor one, floor two, all the way up to the 32nd floor or something like that. If we want to demolish that building, we put the dynamite in the basement and the whole mm -hmm. thing comes down. And so with EMDR, we go all the way back to the beginning and we start with the first or sometimes the worst memories that contributed to all these things. And we use eye movements or tapping or audio tones that go in one side or the other. And we're activating one side of the brain or the other while reliving those memories, but also having one foot in the present and staying in our, it's called our window of tolerance. So somewhat regulated, you know, it's going to be emotionally intense, but not too intense. And by doing that, it desensitizes the memories. It's really wild. And then things that used to really trigger us don't anymore. It sounds like it just dissolves, you know. That's like, a great oh, way to word it. Yeah. Yeah. Like not that the memory dissolves. Like you have your memories. They're there. But the the emotion around the memories or that I should say the negative emotion around the memories, like the the judgment, the fear you know, whatever emotion comes up, anger, yeah. you know, that starts to dissolve. And what you're left with is this happened when I was yes. younger. 
And for folks that have some of those more severe traumas where we can have flashbacks, um, like images or body sensations or things like that also dissolve, right? And it's like they, I, I, I like to talk about it as like turning down the volume. So maybe it was a 10 before and we've turned it down to like a one. And so it's just not as intense and impactful and disturbing as it used to be, which that sounds great, right? Who doesn't want that for all of their negative experiences, right? Right, right. <laughs> for sure. And it definitely, you know, I'm just imagine imagining like the before and after, like walking through the world, like feeling like you have to protect yourself or that, like you said, the world's a scary place and yeah. things could happen to being like, okay, now there's like a little bit of like uncertainty, but in a good way. Like, yeah, like before I was predicting a horrible future, but now there is potential and also living more in the present. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and like, what a shift that is when you're not carrying all that, you know, trauma backpack, right? You've now put it down. You just are free to do so much more. And just like not having the burden of those negative beliefs, that alone is right? Like the, like the scarcity mindset that comes with poverty trauma and like, what if, what if, what if, Mm -hmm. if you don't have to worry about that all the time, like you can put your mental and emotional energy to so many other things. And you're just, your baseline is a lot more calm and connected. And that's just a better way to live. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that in myself when I'm in a worried state of like, our finances and what is this going to look like 20 years down the road? Like I'm very drained and distracted. Yeah. But when I'm like able to, cause there are moments where I can just be in the present moment. Like some of my like spiritual and meditative practices, like you pointed out, Nikki, like I can get in the present moment and be like, that is not real. Right. I, I, I know that a lot of that is not real and where it's coming from. Do I have control over it yet? No, (laughs) but not complete control, but I can sometimes recognize when I'm going off the rails and get myself back in my body in the present moment to a place where I feel like freedom again and how much, um, What's the word? I don't want to say better or more productive because it's not, it's not not about about productivity. Yeah. It's not about (laughs) hustle culture and productivity, but I feel like my best work is done and I feel more present to my mission of, you know, creating, um, parity at all levels of leadership so that we can live in a better world. Right. That's, that's my goal. Um, and when I'm present to that, then I get creative ideas and things happen. Like, yes, I'm productive, but not from a, like, I gotta be productive kind of feeling. It's more of like, I'm, I'm just doing good work and it feels great. What you're talking about is a sense of safe and calm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel regulated. I feel present. I'm not being pulled towards other worries or concerns or memories. I'm just here and I feel safe and calm right now. Mm-hmm. And that is something that is a gift and a privilege that not everybody has. And folks who don't have it know it. And so when they can get to that, even if it's temporary, but things like EMDR, healing therapy, we can get there and more, you know, 
um, stay there longer and not as easily get out of that state, not get emotionally activated. That is amazing. Yeah. You can there, you can travel to get there, right? But Mm -hmm. you have to take that step. So this, this is another good segue, Nikki, like how can people reach out to you if they want to find out more about EMDR or um, traumas and, and how to work with you? And if they can't work with you, you know, um, getting resources for themselves, where can people find you? Yeah, yeah. So the best way is either Instagram or if you have more clinical questions, email, right? So I do a lot of information on Instagram, but I can't, part of my um, licensing ethical guidelines, I can't have conversations with people about their specific needs via Instagram. And so if those types of questions come up, definitely email is the best way. Um, We're also doing a free webinar about trauma, like what is trauma? How does it impact us on October 12th? Because part of my mission is I want people to understand this stuff. Like it feels so big and scary and amorphous and it can be very activating, but the more information and understanding we have about it, the more empowered we are to heal. Um, and so I'm going to talk about some of those things. And then, um, on our Virago wellness, um, website, we definitely have some information on there too. And how do they register for your webinar? Cause right that's coming right up. Me. It's a, it's a couple. Okay. So they can email you and you can get them registered for that yes. webinar. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Any last thoughts, Nikki? Um, just thank you for talking about this stuff. I feel like these things are often not talked about. And I think that's part of what perpetuates the, the harm and the lack of healing. And so the more we can bring hard topics to light and have hard conversations, um, I think a lot of people benefit from this. So thank you for starting the conversation, Jody. I really am grateful to you for that. Yeah, this is like merely a start. And for those of you who are listening, all the links to um, connect with Nikki and some of the resources that we've talked about in this episode, they are going to be in the show notes on the website and in the description of this episode. So if you are listening through an app, you can just go into the description of this episode and find all the links there. And Nikki, thank you so much for again, taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Oh, thank you so much, Jody. It's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for listening. If you found value from this episode and you are not yet subscribed to the Women Taking the Lead podcast, hit the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. And if you know other women and men who can benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Most new discoveries come from our friends, family, and colleagues. Be that person for others. And as always, I hope this was of value to you, and here's to your success.